still pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. The COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. To use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity to reflect on the lessons the cybersecurity community can draw and improve our preparedness for a potential cyber pandemic. From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. 6 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, lots to enjoy over the weekend on TNT Radio. Thanks, everybody, in the studio. Thanks, everybody, in the gallery. And thanks to my producer as well. Uh, I hope that you have that fantastic couple of days. I'll be seeing you on Monday here on TNT Radio. Play of this show, go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. Recapping some of the news that shaped the past week, I'm Matt Boyland. Beijing cautioned Canberra against making reckless accusations against China after Australia accused a Chinese warship of injuring one of its Navy divers during a run-in off the coast of Japan. Canberra claims personnel from an Australian Navy vessel were in the water, clearing fishing nets from its propellers, when a Chinese destroyer emitted dangerous sonar pulses nearby, forcing the Australian divers out of the water, injuring at least one of them. This was dangerous, it was unsafe and unprofessional from the Chinese forces. The incident occurred last Tuesday, but details of the encounter were only made public once the APEC summit had wrapped up in San Francisco, where the Australian Prime Minister was filmed seemingly engaging in friendly discussion with the Chinese leader. Speaking to Sky News on Monday, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said the Australian government had since expressed its concern to China over the incident, which he said had the potential to damage newly repaired relations between the two nations. I can assure you uh, that we raised these issues in, in the appropriate way and uh, very clearly, unequivocally, and China is in no uh, there's no misunderstanding as to Australia's view on this. The consequences of these events are that they do do damage to the relationship and this certainly uh, is a, a, an event uh, that does do damage and we've made that very clear uh, to China. But Beijing bit back, refuting Canberra's version of events, calling the accusations rude and irresponsible. The Chinese vessel kept a safe distance from the Australian vessel and did not conduct any activity that could affect the Australian side's diving operations. We urge the Australian side to respect the facts, stop rude and irresponsible accusations toward China, engage in endeavours that are conducive in boosting mutual trust, and build a positive atmosphere for developing better bilateral relations and military-to-military -military ties. China's foreign ministry also defended the conduct of the country's military.
I'd like to tell you that the Chinese military has strict discipline and has always conducted professional operations in accordance with international law and international practices. It is hoped that relevant parties will stop causing trouble at China's doorstep and work with China to maintain momentum for improving and developing China-Australia relations. And there were celebrations in Argentina this week after libertarian economist Javier Millet, often described as the nation's version of Donald Trump, was elected president. And he's got some big plans promising shock therapy to fix the country's economy, which has been hit by one of the world's fastest inflation rates. Here with more is TNT's Patrick Henningsen. So here we have a new actor on the international political scene, Javier Milley from Argentina, a supposed anarcho-capitalist, a supposed free market reformer, has swept into power with a pretty strong mandate. But is he really all that he's advertised as? He wants to put Argentina onto a dollar standard. He wants to privatize everything. He wants to sell off state assets. He wants to liquidate anything in order to raise cash to get Argentina out of this hole that it found itself. But here's the big question. How did Argentina get into the hole to begin with? It became an IMF debt slave. They just don't have the numbers to add up to allow their economy to break free of the international debt cartel. And is a former investment banker, a major Wall Street figure in the Argentinian sense, is he really going to be delivering the answers here? Or is this just going to be another leveraged buyout from the Western banking cartel? Because let's face it, they've got all the leverage for tnt radio this is patrick henningson the tnt shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live good morning five past six with grant edwards and news just to hand a person has died at a crash in auckland's mount roskill uh, one person has died after suffering a medical event which led to a crash in mount roskill auckland a police spokesman said the officer respond or officers are responding to a serious single vehicle crash near the intersection of Mount Albert Road and Scott Avenue. Sadly, one person has died at the scene of an apparent medical event. Traffic management is being put in place and diversions are being set up at Frost Avenue, Bremner Avenue and McCullough Avenue. Motorists are advised to expect delays and to avoid the area if possible. I'll be back in a moment with weather. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually 9 out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. And we'll have more TNT Radio news at 7 o'clock here at the Liberty NZ podcast. And the li- brought to you by the Liberty NZ podcast. But this is the Liberty NZ breakfast here with me, Grant Edwards. Looking at the extremes across the country, Auckland has the highest temperature at the moment, 14.1 degrees. Waiuru is uh, quite chilly there, 1.4. And the wettest place to be is, well, actually there's nothing. It's beautiful. Uh, right throughout the whole country, no rain whatsoever. Windiest place is Auckland's North Shore with 24 kilometres wind. And it looks like for the South Island it's all double digits apart from Timaru, Christchurch and Blenheim. Uh, Timaru and Christchurch have 5 degrees and uh, Blenheim's on 3 degrees, quite cold. Blenheim and Masterton actually, up on the North Island, bottom of the North Island, just north of Wellington. Uh, I've got three degrees. Everywhere else, well, no reading for Wellington, uh, Nelson rather, and uh, everything seems to be up around the double digits. Chatham Island's on 13, even Queenstown's 
that's 10 degrees. <laughs> Westport's also on 13. Uh, moving up the country there, Napier has uh, 7 degrees, Tarpo 9, Rotorua 6. Palmerston North and New Plymouth are both on 11 degrees. Gisborne's on 8, Tauranga's 12 degrees. Um, Hamilton has 8 degrees and uh, Auckland 14, Wangarei also 14 and Kaitao 12 degrees. Short forecast for north into Taranaki, also for Taupo, mainly fine. Cloudy periods increasing this evening, with a chance of a light shower in the west. For Coromandel Peninsula, the Bay of Plenty, Gisborne, Hawke's Bay and the Wairarapa. Fine weather apart from isolated showers north of Tolaga Bay. For Wanganui to Taihapi, also for Wellington, mostly fine today with the cloudy periods about northern Horafenua or Horawenua, whatever you like, and the odd shower inland. For Nelson, Marlborough and Canterbury, fine with variable high cloud from afternoon. Buller, Westland and Fiordland, partly cloudy. A few showers developing this morning, turning to rain in Westland and Fiordland this evening. For Otago and Southland, often cloudy, one or two showers developing in the morning and afternoon, turning to scattered rain this evening. Chatham Islands, cloud, low cloud actually, with a few showers. Extended forecast for Tuesday. For the North Island, isolated showers on Wednesday. Um, yeah, in, in, in the, rather, isolated showers in the west, my beg your pardon. Turning to rain later, uh, mainly dry with high cloud elsewhere. For the South Island, rain in the south on Tuesday, and you've got um, heavy at times, and it's going to be easing to showers later, scattered showers. Wednesday, North Island rain in the north and west, with scattered falls spreading east, easing to isolated showers later, but clearing in the south. For the South Island on Wednesday, rain in the north, easing to isolated showers, scattered showers elsewhere, and clearing for most. For Thursday, mostly fine, but isolated showers mainly during the afternoon. Friday, for the North Island, mostly fine, but isolated showers during the afternoon and evening. Uh, for the South Island on Friday, mainly fine weather, but patchy early drizzle in the east. I don't know how they know all this. A few showers developing in the west late evening. I guess they just hope you don't remember. <laughs> and the long-range forecast for the Chatham Islands, mainly fine on Tuesday. Showers developing early Wednesday and then clearing on Friday, I'll be back with uh, what's going on in the news. It is uh, nine minutes past six here with Grant Edwards at the Liberty NZ Breakfast. The war in Syria, half a million dead and counting. In Yemen, Sudan, millions have died. Lebanon, Libya, Pakistan. Of the 50 plus Muslim countries, hardly any have democracy. The Muslim world is extremely violent to one another and to non-Muslims. In many ways, the Muslim world today is where the Christian world was 400 years ago. Think about it. There are millions of dedicated Catholics and there are millions of Protestants. 400 years ago, they were killing each other. Today, even though they still believe in different things, Protestants and Catholics have stopped using violence. This is not the case in the Muslim world. No, terrible, isn't it? Okay, just gone ten past, and we're over at stuff. Uh, the front page there, the uh, national romps home in the Port Waikato by-election. National MP Andrew Bailey has won the seat of Port Waikato in the by-election by a landslide. Also, heavy rain eases in Gisborne. The uh, rest of the country is enjoying fine weather. Gisborne is heading out of the woods as heavy rain warnings and water levels drop following early morning evacuations across the region. And an armed man at Auckland University is part of a planned bird cull. The University of Auckland urged the public to stay away from the city campus while police responded to reports of a man with a gun in the area on Sunday. But it seems he's just popping off some birdies. Mourners at Foxen for Gang Tangy. Uh, the a large convoy of gang members and mourners travelled down the country from Auckland on Saturday. Uh, to Foxton for the funeral of William Bird Hines. He's the big gang member there. 
And uh, we've got, um, with all the traffic that's leaving Auckland and Gridlock, what's going on? November is the second busiest month in Auckland's, on Auckland's roads. March madness, and it's going to get worse, apparently, before it gets better. And uh, what other news have we got? Now, what do we know? This is um, a story you can go over and read for yourself. This Jaden Manfredos Nier, he's a 19-year-old, and he hasn't been seen for over six months, and police are actually, they do believe that they're looking for a body. So that's not very good for his family. Damien Grant, our education system is constantly failing our students. Rockledge and Josh, Josh Homie, or Home, uh, was, uh, uh, he says, on vulnerability and his favourite New Zealand graveyard. I don't know, that sounds a bit weird, isn't it? Reasonably well behaved, according to police, with the convoy heading down for the gang member's tangy. I think he's a headhunter, isn't he? And uh, in, uh, we've got a, a father here who says that my, my hope... Uh, I hope that my brother's face haunts him, speaking about the anger of the one-kick killer's punishment. And I'll just zip into that story because I I don't know what quite that's about. Anthony Kelly, he died after he was kicked in the head in Central Christchurch in 2022. And so the dad's not very happy about that, and I don't think he's very pleased with what this fellow got. I'm not sure what he got. I don't know how long he's... Um, doesn't really say my brother's life meant nothing it's so unfair this is what he says uh, I don't know how long the guy got anyway I might come back to that because I'm not sure and I can't see it's not popping out at me 18 um, year old was born in South Africa and adopted as a baby before he immigrated with his family to New Zealand he was 10 according to court documents Nagel had a happy childhood with is that the guy that oh gosh it's nasty isn't it Nasty. I'll come back to that. I'll um, give you some more details. Okay, uh, we'll move across to News Hub in just a moment. I'll be right back. I asked a guy one time what his TV cost. He said about $450. I said, you forgot to look at the price tag. He said, what do you mean? I knew he was a TV watcher. I said, that television costs you, in my opinion, at least $12,000 a year. To watch it. Not to own it. Owning it's cheap. Watching it is what's expensive. And I said, hey, 12000 a year is too much to pay to watch TV. That's too much. Pay a little, but not 12000 Okay, we uh, it's 14 past six here at Liberty NZ, and I guess it's the same right over the country. I would say, though, if you're really going to be accurate about it, the South Island, right down in Bluff, depending on what map you look at, if you look at a globe map or whether you look at Gleason's map, I would say that they are behind, aren't they? They are behind. Yes. Yes, they would be. Or, yes, they are behind. Yes. East. The, the first place to see the sunlight would have to be Mount Hikarangi, wouldn't it, in the east? Now, OK, we'll move on to Mark Spring. That's without a K, M-A-R-C. He's got a website here, Mark Spring. I don't know anything about this guy. But he says on his webpage, markspring.com, this is his latest little piece here. He says... Uh, what's this heading? Back to the Future. Got a nice picture there of Back to the Future of the characters. And sometimes one must go back to go forward. Woke is dead. New Zealand has drifted down a path that has destroyed reality. Sad, but true. The Ardern years have failed. New Zealand is a shambles. Fact. Debt is out of control. Kids are being murdered at an alarming rate. The cost of living is through the roof. Poverty, poverty is growing. Immigration is skyrocketing. Migration is accelerating. Cost of living is killing us. Families are struggling. Crime is rampant. Courts are clogged. 
It's time for New Zealand to focus on what it's about, removing any Ardern, anything Ardern, and refocusing on what we should and could have been. We now have an intergenerational issue. Make New Zealand great again. Do not punish behaviour you wish to see repeated. And husbands do this to their wives a lot too, especially if they're the jealous type. So imagine you have a wife that maybe you, uh, you got lucky and you, you attracted someone who's a little bit above your caliber, or at least that's what you think. And maybe you're right too, you know? And so she's attractive and you're happy about that in some ways, but what about those other men, you know? And so you go out one night and she dresses up and she looks pretty damn sharp and you're a little unhappy about that because, you know, what about those other men? And so she asks you how she looks and you take that opportunity to punish her for her beauty. You do that a hundred times and you watch what happens. You think, God, you've let yourself go. Mm. It's like, no, I pretty much shaped myself into what you allowed. We're having a look at On This Day in History, and uh, before we do, we'll go to 25th of November, Saturday, and On This Day in 2003, uh, 1903, I beg your pardon, Bob Fitzsimmons, he wins the third title, world boxing title, by winning the light heavyweight championship, Timaru boxer Bob Fitzsimmons, he became the first man to have won uh, world professional boxing titles in three weight divisions and then looking at Sunday the 26th yesterday in 1960 on that day a Kiwi Keith begins a 12-year tenure as a Prime Minister Keith Holyoke led the National Party to victory over Walter Nash's Labour government he went on to become New Zealand's third longest serving Prime Minister behind Richard Seddon and William Massey and on this day the 27th of November in 1849 the death of Taraprahe the formidable Ngāti Toa leader, he dominated the Cook Strait region from his base in Kapiti uh, for nearly 20 years, so he passed away on this day. In 1935, on this day, Labour wins power. The 1935 general election has long been seen as a defining moment in New Zealand history, undermining its failure to cope with the distress and depression, of the depression rather, the coalition national government was routed by the Labour-led party of um, Michael Joseph Savage. Also on this day in 1940 a liner was struck off East Cape. The 16,712 tonne New Zealand shipping company liner Rangitane was intercepted and sunk off uh, 550 uh, kilometres off the East Cape uh, with a loss of 15 lives. And um, so apparently the British owned vessel was the largest allied merchant ship to be sunk by the German surface vessels during the Second World War. German submarines and aircraft usually did most of the sinking. On the 25th of November, the Orion and Comet cruising with an armed, or they're an unarmed supply ship, the the Colmerland, these are Germans, they had sunk the little steamer Holwood off the Chatham Islands, taking its 17 crew and 12 passengers prisoner. At 20 to 4 in the morning on this day, the 27th, 1940, the German flotilla intercepted the far larger prize, the Rangitani, which was three days out of Auckland bound for United Kingdom via Panama. The liner had a crew of 201 and was carrying 111 passengers, including a fleet of air recruits, air arm recruits they call them, radar specialists on their way to Britain, and a group of British women who had escorted 477 children evacuees to New Zealand on board the SS Baloney. Is that sailing vessel? I suppose it is. 
So they're on their way back home after they'd done that. So almost 500 children were evacuated to New Zealand. There was also a trainee airman, Alan Jones, and he recalled the attack. He said it was half past three in the morning. Clanging of sirens was going and there were big crashes. I went up on deck and there was one of the raiders on either side of us and a supply ship in front. We could uh, see some of the shells ricocheting off. To hell with that, he said. So we went back down below. Uh, I was a bit scared. I was a bit bewildered. And there was another salvo, and one of the saloons was on fire, and there was a smell of cordite, and the ship was shuddering every so often as it was hit. Seven passengers were killed or mortally wounded, including four female escorts. That's the ones that escorted the children over here from the UK. Eight crew members were also, they lost their lives, including two stewardesses and two brothers who were both in the engine room. Uh, both sources erroneously claim there were only 11 deaths. Uh, the 297 passengers and crew were taken aboard the German ships before the Rangitani was sunk, and most of the captives were later landed at Emerau Island on the Bismarck Archipelago near Papua New Guinea. Uh, they were repatriated there to Australia in January 1941. A number of merchants, seamen and servicemen, including Alan Jones, were taken to Germany and were interned. I'll be back in a moment with more news and information here at Liberty NZ 20 past six. I think it is extremely smug and complacent to think civilization has peaked, it's all upwards from here. Yeah, well, good luck with that, I suppose. <laughs> it's a living. I, I, you know, I, I, there are lots of people who agree with me, there are lots of people clearly who agree with you. I wanted no, to... there are just a lot of people, I would say, who are coming to listen to what I say because they're sick and tired of having their desire to move forward in the world and to achieve something and to take their place as adult males, let's say, who are under the weight of accusations that their ambition and forthrightness is a manifestation of something that's fundamentally tyrannical. They're not happy with that. It's not doing anyone any good. And it's also not true. It's really a terrible thing to do to young men. And it's happening all the time. That's why they're bailing out of universities like mad. There won't be a man left in the social sciences in 10 years in the universities, and it's no bloody wonder. It's an unhospitable place, and it's unhospitable precisely because of this doctrine. Hmm, Jordan Peterson. Okay, we're over at Press Reader. You can find that at pressreader.com. And we're looking at the Whangarei leader, and the heading is Sunshines for Residents with New Tech Install. And uh, a Wangarei State Housing Complex is the first in Northland to have solar technology installed that allows multiple tenants under one roof equal access to solar power generated on site. According to Kainga Ora, which is New Zealand Housing, it says the Aussie-made SolShare system is in use for its Anzac Road complex and it breaks through some of the technical barriers to provide solar electricity to apartment buildings. New Zealand Housing Renewable Energy Leader Jennifer van der Meerwee, van der Meerwee it looks like, Meerwee, uh, she says the system is estimated to reduce customer power bills by 350 to $400 per annum and is a real opportunity, she says, to improve customers' well-being and tackle high energy, rather high energy, energy hardship from all the power bills. The SolShare unit will distribute uh, solar electricity equally amongst the customers at the 15-unit three-storey walk-up. So you've got a walk-up complex, no stairs. Imagine that, they'll be shooting up on the stairway there. So Van der Meewee said a monitor... Uh, yes, um, uh, monitors when the apartment are using energy. Oh, that's what it does, it monitors, rather. Uh, and will direct solar power to its reduced electricity bills 
as much as possible. This can increase the amount of solar use by building, uh, used in the building rather, by up to 50%. That's a lot, isn't it? But is that at all times, I wonder? I don't know, does that really work? And then these panels only last 20 years and you've got to go and buy new ones. Of course, who pays for that? We do, the taxpayer. Okay, so it looks, looking at the building, um, it was, if, you've, if you're living in Northern, you'll, it's on the, the front page of your leader, and uh, there's a, an aerial shot there, and I think it's the beginning of the smart cities. That's what I reckon. Anyway, we're still over at Top Stories, at uh, rather Press, press Reader. This is new for me. And relief for some, and but torment for others. More Israeli hostages and Palestinian inmates freed in a truce deal. Uh, this news here, the ceasefire deal between Israel and Hamas has brought relief to dozens. Those relatives are being held captive, but with 240 hostages, and I'm not can't read any more because they want me to pay money. Uh, over at the Herald on Sunday, George Floyd's murder was stabbed in jail by another inmate, Derek Chauvin. He's the former Minneapolis police officer convicted of murdering George Floyd, was reportedly stabbed by another inmate and seriously injured at a federal prison in. Arizona, And in Kiev, Russia launched the largest drone attack since the start of the invasion, according to the Manawatu Standard. Russia has launched its most intense drone attack on Ukraine. Uh, that's since the invasion began last year, 2022. Targeting the Ukraine capital, military officials have told the papers. In total, Russia has launched 75 Ukrainian-made Shahed drones. The advocate, which is the northern advocate, vital question remains unanswered as Pistorius are granted parole. That's in South Africa. It's been a decade since Oscar Pistorius pulled the trigger of about nine times, or rather four times on his nine millimeter pistol, firing into the head of the body uh, and of his girlfriend, Reva Stenkamp, as she stood inside a locked toilet cubicle in his apartment. Other top stories here, the Herald on Sunday, the fundamental divide in our new government, Cluxon, <laughs> is that a mistake? Cluxon has handed it, the, uh, he has handled it the way a parent might deal with the two children uh, determined that they'll sit in the front passenger seat of a ride to the mall with dad, Cluxon, Clucky, Clucky Cluxon. And uh, Rotorua Daily Post says a Port Waikato by-election was pointless. There was a possibly never has never been a more pointless by-election in the country than the one just held in Port Waikato election. It needs to be said that it is said to with the, oh gosh what is it it needs to be said and it is said with due respect for the oh man, I hate it when they do that I can't even read this I'm not going to bother with this thing because you you get halfway through and then it makes you click on it and then what does it say or oh, you want they want money let's see how much they want let's see how much the daily they want $3.99 for me to go and look at the Rotor or Daily Post. You can get stuff. I'm not not doing it. <laughs> so I'm going to delete that right now because that was very embarrassing for me. Very embarrassing. So get rid of you. Goodbye. Not reading you again. We'll go over to the Herald now and look at the front page there. They've got the same deal, but I can actually get round it. And there's a story there about Judith Collins as well. She's got a huge list of portfolios. Anyway, we've got some bad temper and uh, people are very annoyed at the airport. The passengers face long delays due to the staffing issues with um, at the airport here at Auckland. Amanda Gillies on facing what she calls perimenopause before 40. That's unfortunate, isn't it? Phil Gifford, uh, that's Lucy Lean, isn't it? Remember him? What the public is missing on, missing about Razor. That's Scott. They call him Razor. 
his name is Scott, uh, Scott, 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 what's his last name? Yeah, Scott, Scott Robertson. He's just taken over the All Blacks, hasn't he? So there's a story that I can't read, and you can if you want to pay for it. Uh, what else have we got here? Incoming police minister. Pleased with the robust police response to the headhunter's funeral. So that's um, Judith Collins. Um, opinion, there's 10 pressing issues for new technology minister Judith Collins. And I do have that story, so Mark, we'll go and have a quick look at that, shall we? There we are. This is by Chris Curl. He's a reporter for the New Zealand Herald. And um, he says the incoming technology minister Judith Collins has networked furiously with the industry and consulted on policy in a process that began back in November 2021. She developed a lot of knowledge along the way, and since your life circumstances inevitably inform your outlook, it helps that she's got a personal a personal stake. She says, My son became a software developer, and it really opened my eyes to the absolutely crucial technology and how crucial it is for our growth, the growth of our economy, our productivity, and to get incomes up higher. She says, while I haven't always said, well, no, this isn't she, this is the, this is the writer, uh, and his name is Chris, yes, Chris Curl, and uh, he says uh, she developed a lot of knowledge along the way, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Uh, while I haven't uh, always seen eye to eye with Collins, her long-term application to this sector has been in contrast to the outgoing government, which had three ministers in three years, the distracted foot-out-the-door Chris Fafoe and the demoted, disgraced David Clark and the newbie Ginny Anderson, ranked 19th and 20th in Cabinet. And they foc- she focused on ram raids uh, as police minister. Uh, they were advised by the Lame Duck Digital Council whose meeting minutes were borderline, borderline laughable. But for all her experience, Collins's party released just one concrete policy for the sector during the campaign, a promise for three new classes of visa, graduate digital nomad, that's high-skilled earning above $400,000, which would cover a collective of about 1,000 immigrants per year. The measures that were was warmly received by the industry was hardly as pressing as it would have been even six months ago. The talent squeeze eased as local and multinational tech firms shifted from a hiring spree mode to chunky layoffs and a number of local jobs that actually started to contract recently. Collins said she'd have to wait until her party was in government to get a better better handle on the lay of the land before she could reveal any other specifics. Here's the 10 ideas of um, tech that need her attention. First of all, online fraud and cyber security. And uh, the other one is AI. Now, Australia, they budget, I think they budget $108.6 million, that's New Zealand dollars, to a crucial technology fund to help create governance rules for artificial intelligence and to support small and medium enterprises adopting AI technologies. So that's that. Also, tax breaks for venture capital at National's Tech Policy launch. Maker Partners co-founder Jonathan Reed was very positive on the overall policy but said that he was disappointed it did not feature tax breaks for venture capital investments, one of several recommendations floated in the recent Startup Advisors Council report that did not make the cut for National's policy or indeed any other parties. And then to reignite the $300 million Elevate Fund, the Startup Council also wanted the New Zealand growth partner, uh, they call it Capital Partners, 300 million to be elevated and boosted rather to 
500 million, that's half a billion dollars, Crown Agency co-invest with private venture capital. And then there's barriers to the KiwiSaver investing in startups, removing the current barriers that have limited KiwiSaver funds investments in startups. That was another startup council idea snubbed by Labour and National during the election, although it was uh, only one of the council's 27 recommendations that ACT said it would support. ACT minimalist uh, approach, or its minimalist, uh, minimalist approach, is in keeping with the small government approach that once saw MPs vote against the UFB, ultra-fast broadband network, although leader, current leader David Seymour, is broadly open to a public-private partnership. And then you've got six here, six out of the ten, six the tax on unrealised gains for ESOPs. Collins promised to investigate this one, axing of tax on unrelated gains from employee stock ownership plans, and that would make it a lot easier for cash-strapped startups to offer shares to lure or retain staff. Prospect seemed good. And also rural broadband gaps. There's still gaps in rural broadband, despite the last government tipping it more and more funds. The last government did float a tiny but interesting scheme for rural properties to get direct grants to install the broadband solutions of their choice, with Elon Musk's Starlink as one of the mooted options for the remote areas specifically uh, that once seemed uh, slam dunk. I just thought the only problem with that Starlink blimmin' thing is that it, ta- it draws about 1.3 amps 24-7, and if you're off-grid, you know, that's quite a chunk for just one thing. You know, that all adds up. You've got to watch that. Eight, the wasteful spending on startups. Tech advisor uh, Rowan Simpson, he says office space is really the key problem for startups. And the incubators argue that there are networking and mentoring benefits too, but money would be better spent directly supporting early stage firms. Whether you agree with Simpson or not, it's time for a review of the incentive programs overall, uh, where there's sometimes a bit of clubby feet. And nine, Digital Divide, the New Zealand Rise co-founder Don Christie of the company's called uh, New Zealand Rise, and there was a, a, they were in danger of more tech visas that could be a crutch that stops the industry from doing enough in-house training or a government doing enough to build the local IT workforce. Part of it is making sure that there's a good funnel of new tech workers coming through schools and universities. In part, that means giving every pupil an equal opportunity to develop an interest in tech and its high-paying, productive roles. Currently, there are an estimated 120,000 students who don't even have a laptop. Well, flip and get a job and buy yourself a laptop. And finally, locals cold-shouldered in procurement. Christie has also pushed for the government as easily New Zealand's largest buyer of tech products and services to introduce procurement policies that do more than pay lip service to local contenders who he argues have the chops while the global contenders have frequently blown budgets or under-delivered. He argues local pay full taxes or local pay full taxes and help build New Zealand's school base. Things went backward here during the last government, the Labour government, as during the pandemic, I call it, uh, a series of contracts went to multinationals under an accelerated process with no competitive tenders whatsoever. So that's what he says. And uh, the, the writer of this is, um, so she looks as though, actually before I do go on to that, it looks as though um, she's been given, the. this is um, Judith Collins, she's going to be the Attorney General, 
She's going to be the Minister of Defence, Minister for Digitising Government, Minister responsible for the GCSB, that's the spying on us, a Minister responsible for the SIS, the Secret Intelligence Service, and Minister for Space, <laughs> Minister for the Terrarium. And stay with me, a Co-Coordination Minister for the Government's response to the Royal Commission's report on the terrorist attack of the Christchurch mosques. No matter the key, no matter the key thing is a portfolio is back in the hands of senior ministers after it's been in the hands of little bully children, hasn't it, for quite some time? Uh, Chris Curl is a New Zealand, sorry, Auckland-based member of the Herald's business team, and he joined the Herald in 2018, and he is responsible for technology. He's the technology editor and a senior business writer. We'll be back with more news in just a few ticks. Well, it's the morning after the night before in London, and you can see all over the newspapers pictures such as this. The media are getting this all wrong. They're saying Palestinian protests. No, they weren't protests. They were celebrations. They were pro-Hamas celebrations taking place on the streets of London, Brighton, Manchester, and indeed Newcastle as well. They are celebrating kidnap, rape, and murder They are coming out with some of the most appalling slogans, incitements to violence. This is pure racism. And yet, if I was to make a single comment on GB News or elsewhere that was deemed to be Islamophobic, I would be closed down. Something is going very, very badly wrong here. Yes, something is going very, very... That's Nigel Farage. And uh, now we're going to pop over to... I was somewhere, and I can't remember. Oh, look, before we go any further, let's talk about New Zealand doctors speaking out with science. They've got everything to lose and nothing to gain by speaking out except a clear conscience and a peaceful sleep. As unthinkable as it is, our country is fast turning into a place of tyranny where scientific discussion and criticism of government is ruthlessly quashed. Doctors are being suspended on invented charges and citizens are being coerced into taking experimental medical treatments, dehumanised and separated from one another. What has been seen cannot be unseen. What has been learned cannot be unknown. See a wolf. That was a quote from him. New Zealand doctor speaking out with science, speaking out with science, is working in unity with movements in New Zealand and across the world to build legal, educational, and medical and community structures based on freedom, harmony, science, wisdom, and excellence. Remaining silence is not an option. We are standing up for our rights, our patients' rights, and our colleagues and the public alike. New Zealand doctors speaking out with science. It's 22 minutes to 7. I was invited to debate the head of the largest atheist organization in the U.S. in Minneapolis about 15 years ago. And I looked at the audience at one point, about 400 atheists, and I said, "Uh, would you raise your hand if you ever doubt your atheism? For example, if you've seen your child born or any child born or anything like or heard a Beethoven symphony, did you ever, do you ever doubt your atheism. Not one hand went up. Hmm. And then I said, you think we religious people don't question ourselves. You don't question yourself. Because every religious person I have ever spoken to, and that's thousands upon thousands, has acknowledged that they doubt their, their faith at times and they struggle with it. We struggle, you don't. 
Looking at the top stories at Radio New Zealand, and uh, it looks as though the new government eyes RMA, Resource Management Act. Three waters reforms also. It's all going to be done before Christmas. They want to scrap the heap and uh, chuck it on the heap. Uh, the freshly passed Resource Management Act reforms look set to be the first on the chopping block as the new coalition government settles into power. Stories just come through and teacher shortage set to worsen as few students sign up. Secondary school principals warn there are strug- they are struggling to find enough good teachers uh, to staff their classrooms next year. And Google, the monopoly we don't want to live without. According to the detail, Google is the big tech intrusive company that we welcome because it helps us through our daily lives. But will a ruling from the US say it's gone too far? Need to break it up if you ask me. Person injured in the Kaikoui house fire, and in, person's been injured, it's been referred to paramedics, fire and emergency said. The injured person was referred to paramedics. Oh, they do that. That's just come through. Wouldn't the paramedic go to them? They could just refer them. Oh, just go off to the paramedic. And we've got Kim Hill, what final Sunday or Saturday morning show, the legendary Radio New Zealand presenter, wrapped up her show this week, and you can re watch that if you go over to. Radio New Zealand. Radio with pictures. The Green Party launches petition to keep ban on offshore oil and gas exploration. That's just come through an hour ago. And also over at RadioNewZealand.co.nz, gang members in Foxton for funeral, but no signs of any problems. And waking a sleeping language, our plan to revive the speaking of Te Reo Moriori. Oh, I wonder why. What would be the point of that? Uh, as if we, kids can't even learn to string an English sentence together, let alone learn another another dead language. New laws needed to hold media to account, according to a watchdog. A uh, bit of a kind of look, because that's a bit, don't really, can't really tell. The chief of the country's most powerful media watchdog says we need new laws to hold our media to account in future. The outgoing government has plans for a one single body to oversee rules for the media. Mm, I don't like that. Including the internet. Oh dear. But that uh, that uh, slow-moving overhaul looks stalled. What does the Broadcasting Standards Authority want from our news rulers? The, the uh, uh, rather new rulers. This week, the Broadcasting Standards Authority, the BSA, issued its last batch of rulings for this year on formal complaints it received earlier in 2023. And there's a whole bunch of them there. Even Country Calendar got a mention. And uh, so you can go and have a look at that. Mike Hosking, he'll be in the news. <laughs> He's probably said something to upset somebody. Uh, a complaint about Media Watch. What else have we got? And uh, there's Stacey Wood. She's the chief executive of the Broadcasting Standards Authority. And it's a big, long, long one. I won't go into it <laughs> uh, because I don't want to. And now let's go back to News Hub and see what this... Oh, that was the one I meant to take you to. Anyway, 18 minutes to 7 and uh, on the front page there, it's all about weather. Absolutely over at locals in Wairoa. Uh, they're just about at breaking point after the floods. They've had had some evacuations. And in politics, the anti-gun lobbyists fear the new government will erode firearm safeguards gained after the Christchurch massacre. What a load of rubbish that is. Disarm the population. In health, successful advanced breast cancer pilot could be rolled out for other cancers and chronic conditions. Scams. A Kiwi contribute, uh, sorry, Kiwi tribute band, the Pink Floyd, the Pink Floyd experience 
taking on Facebook after a fan page was hacked. And there's been an accident in Avondale Business Group calls on Burger Fuel. Oh, that's right. That was over the weekend, wasn't it? Burger Fuel to admit the driver's fault at the Santa Parade accident. Quite a few people were injured in that. Drugs Know Your Stuff celebrates two years of legal drug testing ahead of summer festival season. Ugh. And Kiwi Pain. Pain takes maiden supercars victory as Van Gisbergen denied Dream Farewell. And it will save money, National, on extending parliamentary term to four years. Oh, OK, so they're going to be for four instead of three. Is that a good thing? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Don't know about that one. Don't know if that's a good thing or not. OK, so that's the front page of News Hub. Uh, I'll have a skitter around and see what other news I can rake up for you. A, um, and I've got, I'm just looking out over the farm. And I want to know how these little calves, I've got 15 of them, how did they escape the paddock I put them in? They're clever little blighters, and they won't stay with the main mob, and they're a pain in the butt, and they're too friendly. They're far too friendly. <laughs> My neighbour, she raises them, gosh, they suck her fingers and, you know, and pat them. I've got one of them, he's quite old now, that I got from her, oh, it have been, I guess, four months ago. And he, he likes me to scratch his ears. He comes up to me, his number's 401. I call him 401. Not not a 501. He's a 401. Quite nice. Much nicer than the 501s. But anyway, he comes up to me, and he, but he's got a really, he's got a sandpaper tongue. It's like 40 grit. And if you've got shorts on, he, and he rubbed in my, my skin, I doesn't really enjoy it. But he's lovely. So I might keep him before I eat him. Keep, I'm, I don't, might not eat him, actually. I could, maybe, I could, maybe he could help me move some logs. Maybe I could tame him up, really tame him up. I mean, he's fairly tame. Comes up to me, and I scratch him and rub him and everything. And um, I wonder if he could help me pull some totra logs around the place for firewood. That could be handy. I wonder if he'd be strong enough. I'll have to grow, grow him a bit, lo- a bit longer. Maybe, maybe in um, a year and a half he might be big enough to pull a log. Okay, I'll be back in a moment and I'll just uh, figure out what I'm going to do next. There's once a non-Jew asked his Jewish friend, he said, could you take me to your synagogue? He said, sure, come with me. Saturday morning, Sabbath morning services. The non-Jewish friend is asking what everything's about. So he says, what does that mean when everyone stands up and they, they step three steps backwards and they step three steps forward? And the Jewish friend says, well, that's the standing prayer. And that's the main prayer of the Jewish service that we pray three times a day. And a little bit later, the non-Jewish friend asks his Jewish friend, he says, what does that mean? They open that big curtain in the front and they open that ark. He says, well, that's where we keep the Torah scrolls and they're going to bring out the, the scrolls and they're going to read uh, publicly from the scrolls. Oh, that's what that means. Well, after the Torah reading, the rabbi got up to the podium. He says, what does that mean when the rabbi gets in st- and stands up there? He says, well, that means the rabbi is going to say his sermon. And the rabbi took off his wristwatch. He put the watch down on the podium in front of him before he began to speak. And the, the non-Jewish friend says to the Jewish friend, what does that mean when the rabbi takes off his watch before his sermon and he puts it down on the podium in front of him? And the Jewish friend looks at his non-Jewish friend says, unfortunately, not a darn thing. <laughs> 15 minutes to 7, TNT Radio News at 7. We're over at Radio New Zealand still looking at New Zealand news. And the headlines there, the teacher shortage set to worsen as students sign up. Secondary school principals warn that they are struggling to find enough good teachers to staff their classrooms next year. Person's been injured in Kaikoui house fire. The injured person was uh, referred to paramedics. <laughs> paramedics. And uh, fire and emergencies. That's just come through just uh, within the last half hour. And gang members in Foxen for the funeral, but no signs of any problem. Community leaders in Foxen say gang members who are there... Uh, to attend the funeral of a senior member have been respectful so far and he hopes that it stays that way. 
And then waking a sleeping language, uh, they've got plans to revive the speaking language of tea, of they call it Tari Moriori. There's an analysis here, you can go and have a look at that for yourself. Uh, it's written by John Middleton. And heroin sold as, ket- it looks like ketamine, is that what you're saying? Ket- ketamine, in Auckland. D-I-A-N-Z. Heroin has been found in a white powder that was sold as ketamine. I'm not even sure what ketamine is. Excuse my ignorance. I'll go and find out at the next break. Hamilton man hijacks ambulance and crashes into a nearby building. A man is receiving treatment from paramedics. Uh, He became aggressive and threatening and, and hijacked an ambulance from the crew who had fled the scene before then crashing it into a nearby building and demoralizing. State Highway 2 closed, another clean-up underway in Gisborne uh, after the deadly downpours. Deadly? State Highway 2, just south of Wairoa, will remain closed overnight. This must be old news. Yeah, it was, it was closed overnight, I should say. Passengers in uproar after cancelled cruise runs Hobbiton Wedding. A couple's wedding, uh, planned for Saturday, had to be cancelled after a P&O cruise around New Zealand was completely changed during the actual voyage. Goodness, that wasn't so good for them, was it? Let's look at the top stories coming out of Radio New Zealand. New government eyes RMA. Teacher shortage. Hamas hands over another group of Israeli hostages. These ones are Thai. Thai hostages, no sign of the Americans getting out. Uh, Google, the monopoly that we don't want to live without. And a person injured in the Kaikaui house fire. And that is the stories at Radio New Zealand. And we'll do a quick refresh on them, as well as a a quick refresh on News Hub and stuff, and I'll be back in a moment with those updates. As a Sufi Muslim, I'm very ruffled by the title of your book. Did you have to settle for the uh, literal negation of Allahu Akbar? Yes. I thought so. Thank you for that at the moment it's very clear to me the most toxic form that religion takes is the Islamic form the horrible idea of wanting to end up with Sharia the state of religious law and that the best means of getting there is jihad holy war and that Muslims have a special right to feel aggrieved enough to demand this I think is absolute obscene wickedness and I think their religion is nonsense God speaks to some illiterate merchant warlord in Arabia and it contains the answers to all human don't, don't, don't waste my time it's bullshit but, but you're saying the same also, about it also that God that God speaks the Archangel Gabriel speaks only Arabic. All religions claim to be revealed truth. But Islam rather dangerously says, ours is the last and final one. There can't be any more after this. This is God's last word. Now that's straight away a temptation to violence and intolerance. And if you note, it's a temptation they seem quite willing to fall for. Every Allahu Akbar reminds people that we're in a very serious struggle. We're a very depraved religion. Christopher Hitchkins there. Hitchens, Hitchens, yeah. It's uh, 12 minutes to 7, TNT Radio News at 7. We're over at Stuff now. You can find them at stuff.co.nz. And the new front page that's just come through, how New Zealand could pivot from fossil-free to fossil-favouring. Diplomats were set to call for an end to coal, oil and gas at the major meeting this week. And that's up in the air after the election of three parties that want to drill for more. (laughs) It's good. Oh, gosh. I hope it's great. And I kind of hope it does change from three to four years, in a way. We can get the country back on its knees again. St John's Ambulance hijacked. We read about that in one of the other publications and crashed into a lodge in Hamilton. Two ambulance officers, they fled the scene after a patient they were treating became aggressive and threatening and took off. And uh, two years, 34 noise complaints for venue as Nelson intensifies. How do we foster a healthy live music scene while keeping residents happy? 
Mum says disabled student funding doesn't cut it. Marilyn Devasia, she spends over $400 every week on getting help from her for her autistic child, despite qualifying for the highest, oh, the highest tier funding. How many knives at a Timaru stabbing? Good grief, the number of knives present during the incident outside the Gliniti Golf Club 19 months ago was a, in dispute, a, disputing, a disputed point rather, at a sentencing hearing on Thursday. And uh, Zoe Hobbs, Meet New Zealand's Fastest Woman, you can see that story over at stuff.co.nz. No arms and no legs, but he still escaped a cult. Now, I've got to click on that. That is clickbait. And uh, what does it say? This story is, oh, it's actually a podcast, and it's featured on Stuff's Long Read podcast. And you can check it out by hitting the play button if you go over to stuff.nz. And the heading for that one is, Jess Stewart was a cult celebrity, but knew he had to escape. Okay, it's not quite as nefarious as I thought it was. So there we are. So let's move over to Australia now. And uh, we'll look at the top stories there. The government responds to High Court ruling. An utter debacle, according to Cash. Federal opposition has accused the Albanese government of caring more about the rights of criminals than safety of Australians. With Shadow Attorney General, uh, her name is uh, Michaelia Cash, describing Labor's response to the High Court recent immigration detention decision as an utter debacle. Let's hear from her now. If I can uh, click on here, or just click on that there, and hopefully... I'm pretty sure we've got a recording from her. Shame on Labour, she says. Let's see if that will play. Here we go. There you go. It seems the government had an intention when it came to these last sitting weeks to to have their IR reforms go through. You've obviously blocked that for the time being anyway, but this has given them some time to get industry groups on board with some of the changes. Is that giving them a bit of an advantage there? No, not at all, because the majority of industry groups are saying the legislation is still fundamentally flawed. Uh, This is a piece of legislation that you could actually just drive a truck through. So the Minister Tony Burke, a Band-Aid here, a Band-Aid there, and they're not even Band-Aids when you actually look at what is being announced. We also have not seen what the actual sections will look like. So, no, the majority of industry groups are on board. This is a bad piece of productivity-sapping legislation um, that should not be supported. Um, And a Band-Aid here, a Band-Aid there, Andrew, doesn't do much to improve the legislation. All right. What do you think about the situation with these immigration detainees who've been released? The government's oh. refusing to detail how many ankle brace, how many have ankle bracelets. We've had Sam Ibrahim uh, welcome his release in the newspapers in Sydney this morning. What do you make of it all? Uh, look, my understanding is there's now 116 that have been released, not the 93 that uh, the Australian people knew about last week. But what I complete total and utter debacle for this government. They were concerned more about the rights of rapists, murderers, pedophiles, child sex offenders and a contract killer and getting them out onto the street than they were with the safety and security of Australians. So now you have these people out on the street and the basic questions which the coalition is asking on behalf of the Australian people... Where are they? What are they doing? But more importantly, what are you doing to monitor them, 
The government cannot answer basic questions. So the- yet again, you have a Prime Minister of this country who is failing when it comes to his fundamental responsibility to protect Australia and Australians. They're actually Shame using a you. tactic. They're actually using a tactic the coalition didn't use, aren't they? They're saying it's operational matters. Scott Morrison used to do that all the time. Oh, please. The government were not prepared for this outcome. In June of this year, when Justice Gleeson gave a very, very clear indication that they were on shaky ground, they should have already had options prepared. The High Court bring down its decision and their response is, oh, we're really sorry. We got told we were going to win that case. Not good enough. A federal government prepares for every single contingency, unless, of course, you either don't care or you're incompetent. And I'm giving Labor a tick on both of those things. They don't care and they are incompetent. All right. Just finally, it appears the government doesn't probably need the last Senate sitting week, which is not this week, it's next week. Do you still want the parliament to sit for that and why? Absolutely, because we still have a significant amount of legislation that we need to get through. And unless the government's planning on guillotining legislation in the Senate this week, we will need that Senate um, second sitting week. But I have to say, you only look at cancelling a week in the Parliament, and the government's already done that this year, if you don't like transparency, if you don't like accountability, well, guess what? I want to hold this government to account, uh, in particular in relation to the debacle on immigration. So I look forward to uh, doing basically what the taxpayer pays me to do, to be in this place and to work. And shame on Labor for thinking that they can get away with cancelling a sitting week of the Parliament. Okay, Cash, thanks so much for your time this morning. That is Shadow Attorney General uh, Michaelia Cash, and she says she wants to hold this government to account, at, which you've probably just already heard, haven't you? I haven't. I went off and did something else. <laughs> Four minutes to seven, and we've got TNT Radio News coming up at seven. Uh, we'll be uh, back with a bit more Australian politics after the news at seven o'clock, and uh, we'll be having a look at the... Um, Opposition, the Australian opposition, they've been accusing the Prime Minister of being weak on support for Israel as well amid the hostage release and also expect delays. According to that was Cash and Dutton blast Labour. That's the latest move on energy. We'll look at that all after 7 o'clock. Uh, so we'll be back with that and also we'll have a weather update as well. It's uh, coming up to two minutes, I think it is. Yes, coming up to two minutes too. Yes, very close, very close indeed. What a lovely day it is outside. I hope it's nice where you are. I think it's going to be not bad for most of the country. No rain at all to speak of, uh, but we do need rain. I mean, remember, we do need rain. Got to have some rain. I'd, I'd like it to rain all night. Nice, Just nice little you know, spattering of rain, and then lovely and fine during the day. That'll make the grass grow, won't it? The war in Syria, half a million dead and counting. In Yemen, Sudan, millions have died. Lebanon, Libya, Pakistan... Of the 50-plus Muslim countries, hardly any have democracy. The Muslim world is extremely violent to one another and to non-Muslims. In many ways, the Muslim world today is where the Christian world was 400 years ago. Think about it. There are millions of dedicated Catholics and there are millions of Protestants. 400 years ago, they were killing each other. Today, even though they still believe in different things, Protestants and Catholics have stopped using violence. 
this is not the case in the Muslim world. And just a reminder too, after 8 o'clock, we've got Dennis Hall. He'll be uh, popping in for half an hour. He'll be talking about, um, I think he'll be talking about the trio, the new government. So that'll be Dennis Hall. Catch him after 8 o'clock. Here's Tucker Carlson, who is really, you know, just um, willing to, to say it all and bear it all and go, if you would, a little nuclear on the management team that used to run the place. Before the Fox unwinded. Um, you mean I got fired? Yes. Did you think you, like, were you uh, ardent, like, go Fox, go guy, or did... My view on Fox hasn't really changed. They let me say whatever I want, whatever I wanted, really, for 14 years, and I, I'll never stop being grateful for that. And then, obviously, I said too much, and I'm not exactly sure what I said that was bad. No one ever told me, but one day they're like, oh, can't have this anymore, and they fired me. The Murdochs were always nice. They never got in my way at all. They were always super nice to me, but there were, you know, small... My, it's a company run by fearful women yeah you know what i mean and <laughs> okay so that's um that's not gonna land well with some people it's a company run by fearful women it's clearly unjust what the idf has been doing to the palestinians because there's a vast disparity between the number of palestinians being killed and the number of israelis i mean i would the certainly hope that israel is, is killing more Hamas this isn't a conflict I've... this isn't a conflict this is one-sided ethnic okay, cleansing so, again I'm just asking you, if based on the numbers, more Germans died than Brits in World War II, did that mean that British, the British were wrong in World War II? Because they did. Many more Germans died than Brits. Based on the numbers, does that mean that Britain was wrong in World War II? Britain wasn't bombing civilian, civilians. There's a clear you, you difference. Should, you, should talk to, you should talk to the people in Dresden, but there's you can't because they're dead. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTRadio.live. this show simply go to episodes at tntradio.live now tnt radio news recapping some of the news that shaped the past week i'm matt boyland former u.s president donald trump released a video message this week congratulating argentina's new president-elect Javier Millet, often referred to as the Donald Trump of Argentina, emerged victorious in Sunday's runoff presidential election, rocking the nation's political establishment. The libertarian economist and TV personality winning the presidency with more than 55% of the vote after running an eccentric campaign. He promised shock therapy to fix the country's economy, which has been hit by one of the world's fastest inflation rates, now at 143%. The situation in Argentina is critical. The changes our country needs are drastic. There is no room for gradualism. There is no room for lukewarmness. There is no room for half measures. The 53-year-old believes climate change is a socialist lie. He wants to end the country's welfare state, has pledged to shut down the nation's central bank and has also raised the possibility of allowing people to sell their own vital organs. Donald Trump congratulated Millet on his victory on Tuesday. A very special congratulations to Javier Malay on a great race for president of Argentina. The whole world was watching, and I am very proud of you. You will turn your country around and truly make Argentina great again. 
Meanwhile, Fox News has sent the White House into a spin after blowing up brutal polling results on a massive floor-to-ceiling screen showing Donald Trump crushing the president across the country. Biden's approval rating has plummeted to the lowest level of his presidency, just 40% of voters now approving of his performance. The United States carried out a deadly airstrike on Iranian-backed militants in Iraq this week. In retaliation, it says, for a missile strike that wounded eight American soldiers. The Pentagon claiming two close-range ballistic missiles were fired at the Al-Assad airbase in western Iraq. The AC-130 was able to determine the point of origin from where the close-range ballistic missile was fired to the base. This self-defense strike resulted in some hostile fatalities. And two commercial ships owned by the same company involved in Sunday's hijacking in the Red Sea changed course on Monday, steering clear of the area to avoid the same fate as the Galaxy leader. New satellite images showed the seized car carrier now anchored off the coast of Yemen. The ship was seized by Iran-backed Houthi rebels on Sunday, footage showing armed militants dropping from a helicopter and swarming the deck before taking the crew hostage. The crew is made up of nationals from Bulgaria, Ukraine, the Philippines, Mexico and Romania. It turns out the ship, which is operated by a Japanese company and registered in the Bahamas, is actually owned by Raycar Carriers, a company that was founded and is 50% owned by one of the richest men in Israel. Here with more is TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Now, in case you missed it, what happened in the Red Sea just a few days ago is a game changer. Ansar Allah, which is known as the Houthis in the Western media, this is the Yemeni resistance. They represent the government in Sana'a. They have fought the Saudi Arabians and the United States for nine years in a dirty war of attrition waged against Yemen to try to weaken the country and partition it, but it didn't work. The Yemenis fought back, and now they're really striking back, this time against Israel. They have seen a massive cargo ship in the Red Sea with a helicopter and a special ops team. The Houthis have their own Navy SEALs team now, and they've just seized an Israeli boat owned by an Israeli billionaire named Rami Ungar, and who happens to be the best friends of the Israeli defense minister as well. Could there be weapons on board? Well, we'll find out. Yemen's got control of this ship now. This is a game changer geopolitically, and they're doing so on behalf of the Palestinians. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Hennings. Thank you, Patrick, and I'll be back with a moment with weather. Doctor, tell me, is John going to... He'll be fine. We just need to bring him out of this coma. What? What's that humming sound? Oh, that indicates John's mental activity. No. Well, is, is there anything I can do? Don't do it. What? He may recognize your voice. Oh. He may respond to a word, mm-hmm. an expression, anything that he's greatly devoted to. Okay, uh, John, it's me... Jeannie, your wife. It's okay, go on. Oh, John, just this morning at D's, little Cindy was saying how Wait, much... say that again. Uh, uh Cindy? No, D's, D's. Um, um, oh, okay, uh, uh, we were at D's, and and we all had the ham and egg special. Keep going. Uh, thick sliced smokehouse ham, farm fresh eggs, golden hash browns. Mm, I had them with hotcakes, and... What happened? Oh, right, at D's, John usually gets the blueberry muffin. He's coming out of it. Oh, this is wonderful. Now he won't have to miss the big family reunion. 
These ham and eggs special for a limited time, just two ninety nine. These family restaurants serves you right. For great looking t-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Let's look at New Zealand weather extremes. Auckland has the highest temperature, fifteen point two degrees. The coldest place in the country, three point seven at Banks Peninsula. The windiest is Manukau in Auckland, nineteen kilometres per hour, and it's dry in all main centres. Looking at the temperatures right across the country, we're all in pretty much double digits except for, or Queenstown's dipped off a bit. Queenstown's gone down to nine, uh, Timaru's on seven, and six for Christchurch. Blenheim's very cold, five degrees, along with Masterton. But everywhere else, it's all in double digits, apart from Rotorua and Taupo, both on nine degrees. This morning, oh, Hamilton, you've chilled off a bit too. You've dipped down to nine degrees as well. Let's look at the short forecast. For Northland, Taranaki, Taramanui and Taupo, cloudy periods with long fine breaks this afternoon, a chance of a light shower on the west this evening. For Coromandel Peninsula, the Bay of Plenty, Gisborne, Hawke's Bay and the Wairarapa, fine weather apart from cloud from Gisborne this morning. For Wanganui to Tahapi and Wellington, mostly fine today, a cloudy periods north of Horuanua, <laughs> and the odd shower inland. For Nelson, Marlborough and Canterbury, fine weather, some high cloud this afternoon. For Buller and Westland, also Fiordland, cloudy periods, a few showers developing this morning. Turning to rain in Westland and Fiordland this evening. For Otago and Southland, cloudy periods, uh, one or two showers developing this morning and afternoon. Turning to scattered rain this afternoon and evening, rather. And for the Chatham Islands, low cloud and a few showers. And that's it for you. And uh, we'll, we'll go and have a look at the... Should we have a look at the weather, bro? We go to South Africa? Or um, maybe not. Maybe we won't. I still don't know how my cows... How my calves got through the fence. They're clever little... Clever little rascals. Why did God create war? Why does God create murder? Why does God create all the, the horrific things we see in the news? School shootings. Why would God create a mind that acts in that way? Well, I think the the traditional theistic answer to that is the free will defense. It's not that God created those things, he created free agents, knowing that it was better to create free agents who had the ability to choose, and therefore to choose to love him or not, or love each other or not, than it was to create puppets. But with that decision to create free moral agents, there was also the risk that people would use that freedom to exploit others. How often does God get blamed by the people who claim not to believe in him for the evils that they themselves are responsible for? It's eight past seven here at Liberty and Z with Grant Edwards here till eight o'clock and then after eight we've got Dennis Hall, he'll be joining us. Uh, Dennis Hall for a, a half hour segment, we'll be hearing from him. But up next we have got Richard Vobes and this is the latest do we live on a flat earth? Is it a flat earth we live on? Maybe it is, but perhaps not in the way you, you're thinking right now. Let's listen to Richard Vobes. I'd just like to start off and say thank you so much to everybody who gets in touch and spends a lot of time in front of their computer emailing me uh, and sending me messages and news reports, video clips and, of course, your own opinions and reactions to the uh, comments and things on, uh, or rather the videos on YouTube. And, and often you find that your comments disappear. Let me just say, firstly, on that note, that if you put a link uh, in a comment and you link to something, the chances are it will get removed. I don't know why that is, but I found that um, all people who put links in 
gets removed. Sometimes they come into an area that I have to approve, and I do approve all of them, even those comments which say bad things about me and people who don't like me but still comment. I approve them. I try to keep as much free speech going on as possible. But sometimes others just mysteriously disappear, and I don't know why that is. Um, so, so there's that. As far as the emails, I do try to read them all, but I can't re reply to everyone, I'm afraid. If you go away for a couple of days, you come back and there's hundreds of them, and it's very difficult. So it's a bit like Vision On. I don't know if you remember that program here in the UK in the 1970s. We had a program called Vision On. It was an art program with Tony Hart and a lady called Pat Kiesel, and she used to do a bit of sign language, and she would always say, Thank you for sending in your paintings, but I'm really sorry we cannot return them. And whether they took them out the back and burnt them, I don't know, or just ditched them. But obviously, to put a stamped, a stamped envelope and post them back would have cost an absolute fortune for the BBC on a children's programme, so they didn't. Uh, my time is so busy with a number of different things, trying to do my own research, reading some of the books that people send me, looking at links and things that just, and, and of course creating content and getting uh, people to come along and be on the show as guests in the other department of the show. Um, I can't just read all and answer all of the emails, so apologies for that. I'd just like to say this from time to time. I don't want to go on about it. The other thing is, of course, um, thank you so much for all the wonderful donations that people send in. It's very much appreciated, and it does keep helping the channel um, go and helps put diesel in the car. You don't always see it, but often Julia and I will whiz off and, and try and see people in person or go to meetings, as we did yesterday, which was four hours away, and, and we we had a meeting, in fact I had two different meetings, and then we had to come four hours back. So that's, you know, about 80 quid's worth of diesel, uh, and nothing was made out of it in terms of money or anything, but lots of interesting stuff for the channel coming forward is there. So it all really does help. Now, you will see by the thumbnail that I want to talk about the flat earth. But this isn't quite the flat earth that you think I'm talking about, um, at least Maybe it's the inspiration for the Flat Earth, I don't know. But I'm going to have a guest on the show who's going to talk about his version of the Flat Earth, because it seems to me lots of people have different versions of what that means, and whether you're open to it or not. But just bear with me. Now, a book was sent to me um, called the, uh, Putting a Stopper in the... Seven, in the uh, Hang on, it's all in code, you see. You've got to break the code even in the title. Putting a stopper in the bottle of death and the occult. Uh, it's a great book, and if you haven't read it, thoroughly recommend it. It's by Gary of the House of Fraun. At least I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, so I'll put a link in the description anyway to this particular book. And there's a section in here, and it's talking about the, the, the way that... Um, we're deceived in many different ways in this world and sort of the occult things that have been hidden from us. It's a fascinating uh, book and thank you to the, the viewer who sent it in. It's really interesting. So this is a section called The Earth is Flat. Now, let's see what they mean by this. So this is a period about 700, 800,000 years ago when the Vatican was really getting going and putting down its, well, feeding out its tentacles, really, across the world and trying to capture not only our hearts and minds, but also our souls and body and owning us 
in order, it seems to me, to A, make money and B, to uh, be able to indoctrinate us, which uh, through its methods it does seem to have done very well. Um, so it says here the church, and of course it had these paper, uh, these pa the Pope released these, um, what would they be called, um, dictats, I suppose. Uh, they were known as papal bulls. They were sort of laws that they were creating, what they call law, not what I would call law as in natural law, but they were creating their own, effectively, version of legislation, if you like. And so the church during this time uh, created these papal bulls, decided that they needed to have a flat earth system. Now that sounds a bit barking, doesn't it? But this bore out the four-corner rule. And in 1306, Rome declared to everybody that the Earth is flat. Humans, you see, are three-dimensional creatures. But the Church needed everyone to be two-dimensional in order to represent humans on paper, to be registered. Now, that's a very important bit, and it sort of just talks about that and then moves on to something very simple elsewhere. But this business about being on paper, putting humans on paper and then registering them is the most important part about this. With this decree, they created the term all four corners of the earth. It created the idea that humans could be placed on paper and the idea of a birth certificate was born. The four-corner rule was the basis of signing documents within the four corners of a box of a document. Inside the box, i.e. your coffin, as mentioned later in the book, and he does go and talk about that later on. Now, this is the thing about turning living men and women, you are a living man or a living woman, uh, you're, you have blood gushing through your veins and your your flesh is alive you're not a two-dimensional creature you are a three-dimensional creature uh, you are a human or a human being if you like you are a spirit probably uh, better described inside this body of flesh and blood you are a man or a woman but the church at that time as it said needed a flat world, paper, because they used to do so much of their documents by paper, as we do now. Everything is done on paper. Legislation is all about getting the jurisdiction. So they get you to register and give away, effectively, your title, your ownership, if you like. Your, your, um, the, the sense of belonging to things is given away when you register something. And we know that when we, when we register a brand new car that we've just bought and the, the car salesman, oh, would you like me to uh, register it so you can get your licence and your insurance and your MOT and all these things? And you go, oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. And effectively what's going on there is you've bought this car, you've spent a lot of money, and in theory, you'd think you would own it, wouldn't you? But no, you don't own it because you didn't actually make it yourself and you didn't get the certificate of manufacture either. That's actually given to the government so that the or it's kept with the manufacturer. I forget which one it is, but you don't get it, which actually proves it's yours. Um, 
So then they say, well, would you like us to register it? And you go, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, 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 please, thanks. And so what they do is they register it and you get that uh, logbook back and it says you're the registered keeper. At one point it was you are the registered owner, but you're now just the registered keeper. You've given away the title to, of ownership of that, that device, whatever it is, you know, the, uh, the car. And we know that. And then you are registered so that you can get one of these. This Now, mine is very, very old. You've probably got one with a photograph on it. But this is, believe it or not, this tatty bit of paper held together with sellotape that's also frayed is my driving licence. I haven't moved from my house for so long, I haven't needed to update this. And it's still, I believe, within the time span, I need to double check that, of when it, uh, when it runs out. But anyway, that's my driving licence and it's very ancient. Um, but you'll notice on the driving licence, my name, where well, you won't notice it, but I notice it, and if you look at yours, is all in capital letters. Same on my passport. This is an old passport. It's actually expired. I need to get a new one, but I haven't got a new one. But again, if I look in here, my name on the bit with the picture is all in capital letters. It's all in capital letters. It's funny, that, isn't it? Now, that capital letters of your name, your forename and your surname, that is the, the legal fiction. It's not you, because you, as I keep going on and harping on about this, you are flesh and blood, but the church needed you to be on paper so that they can deal with you in lots of different ways, and you become effectively a slave at that point. You're, 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 you are now a bit of paper, and they can control you, and you think when they call your name or they see your name in this capitalization that they are referring to you, the man or the woman, the flesh and blood. But of course, that's not really the case. And as Shakespeare said, all the men and women are merely actors. Um, the, the world is a stage and the men and women are merely actors. And that's what we're like. So in effect, the, the flesh and blood version of you, the real you, the spirit that inhabits you in this cloak, this meat suit, as often people refer it to, you're like the agent, if you like. You're the agent of the actor, which is on the bit of paper, on these, on these documents. Because these aren't you. Uh, and the bit of the bit that has your name on it isn't you, but you're the agent, if you like, of this actor. And an agent will get the actor jobs and will say, oh, yes, this actor um, here represented on a bit of paper, I can, in I can get him, he will agree to do the film or the play or whatever it is you want, he will agree to do it. And, and so that's a way to think about this legal fiction, that you are the agent. You're effectively the executor of this legal fiction's estate. Because when you're born, as it said, they wanted to create a birth certificate. So they needed you to be on this flat earth, this flat plane, as a name. And so then you think that's you throughout your life. But it isn't you. Because you're real, you're flesh and blood, you move about. A piece of paper can't do anything. And so they use this birth certificate and you register, you give away your title to, so your entitlement, 
to certain things. They give that all away when you register things. When you get married, you think that actually that your marriage certificate is there really to sort of search to, to prove you got married. Well, it is, but you're effectively giving away all these things. Every time you register anything, you're giving away the fact that you, it's, it's yours. It's no longer yours, you've given it to the government. Same with children. When you register the birth and you inform the registrar and you say, the mother says, yes, I, I did have this baby, you effectively give away your children to the state, which is why they can come back at some point and say to you, I'm sorry, we don't like the way you're bringing up your children. We have a problem with you. We are going to take them from you because the government own them. So what you have to do with all these things is say, actually, that's not right. I am going to claim as the agent of this legal fiction, as the executor, I am going to claim my rights because by rights it is your child. And you'll say, look, I'm sorry, there's been a mistake here, particularly because I didn't know, you didn't tell me, that that's what registering was doing, that actually um, I, I'm going to correct that. This actor, this legal persona, this fiction on the bit of flat earth paper is not me. I am the executor of his estate. And as the executor in a trust, which is what has been formed, I am the beneficiary of that trust. I am the beneficiary. So those children I've registered are actually mine. There's only three points, three positions in a trust. There's the executor, there's the a beneficiary, which has to be you, and then there's the trustee. But the 12 presumptions of law will say, we will presume that you will act as the trustee, the one responsible for paying everything, the one responsible for doing as you're told, rather than being the executive. And the presumptions of law will say, we will presume to be the executor and the beneficiary of your estate, of your stuff. And so you have to go back and say, no, thank you very much. That's not correct. That's not right. I am the executor. I am the rightful re executor, the sole beneficiary of this legal fiction. I didn't set it up. You set it up. But, um, but you are the trustee. So I get to tell you what to do. And I want to have all these things back. We will go into this in more detail. But I just wanted to share this, that the, the world is flat. And that's how they do it. That's how they do it. Richard Vobes, you can catch him on YouTube. Isn't he great? I like old Richard. 24 minutes past seven, TNT Radio News coming up at eight o'clock. And also we'll hear from Dennis Hall, my friend Dennis Hall. He'll be coming in after the eight o'clock news and weather. And we've got Anon. Anon, he'll be there, the jolly heretic as well. We'll be hearing from him, and that is Professor Ed Dutton, all after eight o'clock here at Liberty NZ. Breakfast with Grant Edwards. Right, coming up in a moment, we'll have a look at what's going on with uh, international news with Reuters. I'm pro-life, but I am pro-life yeah. from... Yeah, I am not pro-life. That's what I'm saying. All the way to death. Yes, I'm not pro-life. Not Definitely, 100%, not pro-life. Then why are you out here? Because I'm an abolitionist of abortion. Oh, so you're not pro-life. So you're not no. pro-life. Oh, my God. How? Hold on, just, just, Did you, wait. just slow down. <laughs> I'm not part of you're the pro-life. Listen, not pro -life. hold on, let me, okay, I'll explain it, because you guys seem like, 
You've we got, haven't you been don't there. like abortion. I'm not pro-life. No, I'm not pro-life. Let me explain it. I am for the abolition of abortion. I believe it is murder. It should be criminalized. I believe that all human beings should be afforded the same treatment. That includes being the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and living in a society where the only thing that will jeopardize your life is the commission of a capital crime, and the only person that can take your life in the commission of a capital crime is the state. 26 minutes past seven here at Liberty NZ, and we're over at the Newswire for Reuters.com. And uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Sunday, he met with security forces inside Gaza Strip, according to his officials. Elon Musk to meet the Israeli leader on Monday. He's going to meet more than one of them, actually. Uh, He's the tech entrepreneur, as you know, and uh, he's accused by civil rights groups of amplifying anti-Jewish hatred on his ex-social media platform. He'll meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Isaac Herzog in Israel on Monday, Channel 12 IT said on Sunday. And Hamas hands over another group of Israelis. Uh, They're Thai hostages. This is a report from Reuters Jerusalem. Hamas said on Sunday that it handed over 13 Israeli hostages, three Thai nationals and a person with a Russian citizenship. Uh, They've been held in Gaza Strip. to, to They handed them over to the Red Cross on the third day of a truce between Israel and the terrorist organization. Of course, they didn't say that we're a terrorist organization. They called a militant group. But that's just a nice way of saying it, really, isn't it? Militants. Sounds very nice, isn't it? Very clinical, but really they're terrorists, actually Muslim bloodthirsty terrorists. Uh, in Riyadh, uh, unidentified armed individuals have seized a tanker, pirates in other words, carrying a cargo of phosphoric acid in the Gulf of Aden. Uh, that was on Sunday, the vessel's managing company and, uh, sorry, the vessel's managing company. Okay, and the U.S. defense officials have released that information. Egyptian Foreign Minister Sami Sokri He received a call from U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on Sunday to discuss obstacles threatening Israel's truce with Hamas and says to reach a comprehensive ceasefire. Egypt's foreign ministry released that information. In Washington, the White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said there was reason to believe that a U.S. hostages would be released, or a U.S. hostage, just the one, would be released from captivity in Gaza on Sunday. And in London, thousands of demonstrators... They are marching against anti-Semitism in London. Uh, the protest against the rise of hate crimes against Jews since the attack by Hamas uh, terrorist on Israel on October the 7th, according to Israelis, um, a, a source there from London. Actually, it's not. It's from Reuters. Uh, and also Amman and the Israeli airstrikes put Damascus airport out of service on Sunday forcing incoming flights to be diverted elsewhere, the Syrian army and pro-government newspaper has said. And US President Joe Biden will talk with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Sunday, according to White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. And finally, Sierra Leone said that it has pushed renegade soldiers who attempted to break into a military armory in Freetown during the early hours of Sunday. They've pushed them back to the outskirts of the capital and have restored calm after imposing a nationwide curfew. I'll be back with more news after Douglas Murray. Just to say, I'm sorry, who, who were the Maoris historically? Were they men and women of peace who sat around idyllically farming and having an idyllically 
civilized life, or were they brutal, brutal people who did terrible things to each other and to people they met? The trade in decapitated human heads? I'm sorry, I'm not willing to have my own culture ransacked and turned through this lens of pure evil and simultaneously be expected to pretend that the Maoris or the indigenous people of Australia were these proto-Gandhi-esque figures, sort of Mother Teresa with a bit too much beheading. <laughs> no, no, this is totally untrue. Total nonsense. Yeah, half past seven here at Liberty NZ, Grant Edwards with you till eight o'clock, then Dennis Hall's in after eight. That is Douglas Murray, of course. We're over at Sky News for our Aussie listeners. G'day, g'day. How are you going? What's the difference between the Kiwi and Australian? One says g'day, and the other one says g'day, mate. <laughs> I think the Aussies will say the latter. We're at skynews.com.au. And uh, this is in politics. I'll fight you, according to Lydia Thorpe. She blames colonial system for genocide in Gaza. More nonsense from Senator Lydia Thorpe. She's pledged to fight the Palestinian cause, fight for Palestinian cause, I should say, telling protesters she will release a statement every day this, the war continues in order to prevent Australia's colonial system from perpetrating, facilitating the genocide in Gaza. And a new poll reveals what Australians think of ending ban on nuclear power. The new poll revealed that less than one-fifth of Australians oppose ending the ban on the use of nuclear power in the nation. And in further news from Australia, delusion. Bowen mocks push for energy or nuclear energy despite the new poll. Climate change and energy minister Chris Bowen, he says the use of nuclear power in Australia is a fantasy wrapped in a delusion accompanied by a pipe dream. (laughs) But a new poll shows increasing support for nuclear as part of the country's energy future. Police charge a man after a $2 million drug bust in Melbourne. The man has been arrested and charged after police discovered the stash of methamphetamine worth $2 million at a home in Melbourne's eastern suburbs. And William and Kate loved Megan and Harry South Park episode. Megan and Harry South Park. William and Kate loved Megan and Harry South Park episode. Prince William and Kate Middleton found the South Park parody of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle hilarious, according to a new excerpt from the Omid Scobie's bombshell book called Endgame. And uh, unhinged media goes into a meltdown over Javier Mealy's election victory. And uh, weak leaders, Irish Prime Minister, criticised over tweet about released child hostages from Hamas. Anthony Albanese faces leadership woes, a proof the public is fed up with the government who give in to the far-left woke agenda. And antithesis of what Australia stands for, anti-Semitism crisis exploding on the streets. And a women's group. And the woke journalist blasts for, blasted for the lack of support for Jewish people. Absolutely terrible. Opposition accused Prime Minister of being weak on support for Israel hostage release. Shadow Attorney General Michaelia Cash has accused Prime Minister Anthony Albanese of being weak this week on Israel as the Israeli government confirmed the second group of hostages to be released by Hamas are now safely in Egypt. And uh, what else have we got over here? We're over at uh, skynews.com.au. 
And that looks to be just about... Oh, I've got some more news. I'll be back in a minute. We'll whip over and um, I'll bring you some interesting news from... Gosh, what's, what are they called now? Where are we? Oh, I've got... Had the name. Lost it. We'll go back to News Hub as well. A bit of hurry. A bit of hurry because there's a bit to get through. Won't have time to go to Israel today. Uh, but I do have uh, some news from... Oh, I can't remember... Where did I get? Oh, the expose. We'll have a look at that. They've got some new, new stories at expose news. We're back in a minute. I look white, dude. I look like I tell my mom to shut up. <laughs> I could never do that. I could never do that. I have a Cuban mom that escaped communism. Okay. The only reason I know that is because she told me every morning. So I don't know how you woke up in the morning, but for me, it's good morning, Marcelo. Have a great day, but just remember, I free you. (laughs) She's a scary woman. In my house, you can't have a bad day. When your mom escapes communism, you can't have a bad day. You get home from school, you're like, Mom, I had a bad day at school. She's like, what happened? What happened that was so bad? (laughs) Did somebody steal your freedom today? I don't understand. Uh, The expatriates from the communist countries, they're the best. The best people. Mm, They are the best. 26 minutes to wait. And uh, a freshly passed Resource Management Act, the RMA, reforms look set to be the first to be on the chopping block as the new coalition government settles into power. Parliament was buzzing at the weekend with new ministers making the most of the moving day, setting up their new beehive offices. Speaking on Friday's announcement, incoming Prime Minister Christopher Luxon said that his team couldn't wait to get stuck in. The new government intends to repeal the RMA, the Resource Management Act, and Three Waters reforms by Christmas. Soon to be Finance Minister Nicola Willis, she said, We know those laws have the potential to cause massive confusion. There's a lot of political working uh, going uh, working away on this, so it's important we stop them. The former Labour government passed the Natural and Build, Natural and Build Environment and Spatial Planning Bills in August, replacing the Resource Management Act. The quick framework to now dump the reforms has got some, including the Environmental Defence Society, worried. As Chief Executive Gary Taylor said, the reforms wrapped up half a decade's worth of work, good, of communist, communist work, completely scrapped them, would be, uh, would be revenge in politics. No, it's not. It's just common sense. Uh, that's been produced Here's Grant interfering with the news. Sorry about that. Uh, it's been produced and it... It it can't be a hundred percent bad. Well, I'm sorry. I think oh, I shouldn't be interfering, should I? No. Shut up. Shut up. Okay. We'll be back in a minute, and I've got um, so that's that story. I'll just I'll just go back and tell you what else is happening on News Hub. So it looks like the main story is the new government with their pre-Christmas scrapping of putting a whole lot on the scrap heap. Also, the people in um, in uh, Gisborne, the Wairua area, they're absolutely over it. Locals in Wairua, they're at breaking point after the f- more floods. Anti-gun lobbyist, he fears the new government will erode firearm safeguards gained after the Christchurch massacre. More nonsense. Gang members arrive in Foxton for funeral, but no signs of any problems. In the Middle East, Hamas has handed over 17 hostages to the Red Cross. And cheers, 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 boss, former England Tottenham manager. That's his name, is Venables. He dies after illness aged 80. Good old Venables. And successful advanced breast cancer pilot could be rolled out for other cancers and chronic conditions. And a Kiwi tribute band, the Pink Floyd Experience, taking on Facebook after fan page was hacked. 
and Avondale Business Group calls on Burgerfuel to admit the driver was at fault in the Santa Parade accident, and Kiwi Payne takes Maiden Supercar's victory as Van Gisbergen, he denied his uh, dream of winning, has been uh, denied, and it's farewell. Goodbye. Goodbye to that. Okay. Oh, the Greens, look at them. Gosh, they look sour sacks. They look very unhappy. And there needs to be an investigation, in my opinion, <laughs> my loud opinion. Um, there needs to be an investigation done into the validity of the ballots. And that was brought up a week and a half ago by Richard Preble, and the media is completely silent about it. And I don't think that's right. And so they just need to take one electorate, one that's close, need to go to the High Court and look at all those ballots to see if those people were actually legally uh, able to vote. Because Richard Preble said that there's even back when they had the voting roll. You see, once upon a time, before the Prime Minister, former Prime Minister, now Dame, Dame Jacinda Ardern, in 2020, she brought in a, a new policy that was passed under urgency um, that meant that people didn't have to be on the electoral roll to vote. And they didn't have to give their ID either. So those two things open the whole thing up for electoral fraud. And, of course, the lazy people, people that don't vote, the last-minute voters, you know, due to coercion, are the Greens and the Maori Party, and also Labour as well. And so they would be the winners. And possibly New Zealand First may not have got into government. And so Richard Preble's right. There needs to be at least one. And he, he actually said they shouldn't have formed the government. Uh, um, the, the Governor-General should have said, no, we're going to carry on with the caretaker government, with Chris Hipkins. He's going to carry on for another few weeks until we get to the bottom of the legality of the ballots. Uh, I think Richard Preble said that once when he was an auditor, they went to one home and there were 18 people living in that home that were actually not eligible to vote. So we need to bring back the rolls. People need to be on the roll before they can vote and they need to give their identification over when they go to vote, say their full name, look to see if they're on the roll. Yes, you're on the roll and now I need to see your identification. Now you can vote. Not just tear off a little thing that's mailed to you, which could be we, I mean, we, you don't know, it could be fraudulent. Who knows? Who knows what's going on? So anyway, that needs to be investigated. That definitely does. There needs to be a high court action there. Someone needs to take it, Preble said. So someone who's got money needs to take it. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining me. It's 21 minutes to 8. We'll have TNT Radio News at 8. And as I said, we've got Dennis Hall coming in after 8. And we'll also hear from Professor Ed Dutton from the Jolly Heretic Channel and Anon. I haven't heard Anon before, but he's going to be in with a half-hour program. He won't be coming right in here. It's just that we'll be listening to a recording from him. I'm not even sure who Anon is. He's anonymous. He's Mr. Anonymous. OK, I'll be back in a minute with Expose News, and we'll let you know what they've got on the boil. Back in one moment. I'm in love with America's Christians, uh, t- uh, to be perfectly uh, uh, open about you. it. <laughs> <laughs> not all, but... Uh, but more, At least I'm those around touched. this table. It is mutual. <laughs> Thank you. It, it is a very beautiful thing in my life. But uh, uh, technically speaking, one would say that Christians are bound to nine commandments. Well, because, of the, because of the Sabbath. Well, no, but, Jonathan, the Sabbath, it, the Sunday... Well, that's, on, that's, the, that's the resurrection day. Well, no, it's a new creation. So the creation element is there. And the idea of the, the, the basic principle of the Sabbath, that, it, that it, it recognizes that moment in the week, that moment in the seven-day cycle of God resting at the end of creation, the culmination of creation. It's shifted to Sunday because Christ is seen as the new creation. 
Right, so fine. Are you, uh, it's okay. Are you bound, is a Christian bound to Sunday? Well, I would say yes. it depends. On, yes. I would also, say yes. <laughs> They're all having a, a chip in. I didn't realize that Jordan Peterson's wife is a Roman Catholic. I think he might be as well. I saw a, a video with them uh, uh, over the weekend. She apparently uh, had cancer. I think she's still alive and kicking. Seems to have um, taken some alternative treatment, not the mainstream treatment. And uh, But boy, very heavily, um, you know, uh, superstitious, you know, with their rosary and all that sort of nonsense. Do you know that the Muslims also have rosary beads? And that actually, uh, that makes sense to me because um, it was the Spanish Jesuit priest, Alberto Rivera, who in the late 60s came out of the Roman Catholic Church after being in Rome and learning from Cardinal Beer that the Roman Catholic system of religion actually created Islam uh, in order to uh, harness the children of Ishmael, which are all the Arab nations. Ishmael, of course, uh, he is the uh, son of Hagar, the Egyptian handmaiden to Sarah and Abraham. And um, so they used him, they used Muhammad uh, with a secret agent from the Vatican. Her name was Fatima. So they wrote the Vatican, they wrote the Quran. This is the uh, Roman Catholic Church. People in there, probably the, the cardinals. They wrote the, that and brought it to because he was an illiterate, you know, merchant, pedophile and <laughs> whatever else, and uh, not doing very well. Anyway, they uh, brought it in. She would have read it to him, I suppose, because he was illiterate, couldn't read. And um, that was the beginning of Islam. So really, it was just a Roman Catholic invention to harness the uh, pagans who actually followed the moon god. They did. They went well away from any teaching that Abraham might have given them. Uh, but people think, you know, that the Muslims, that the uh, Arabs rather, come from Arabia. Not really. They are actually, they're actually half Jew and half Egyptian. That's where the Arabs come from. They are half brothers with the Jews. So Ishmael, and that's what it's all about. This big war in the Middle East, it's been, they've been fighting for thousands of years. It's because the promise of Abra God to Abraham, uh, the, the Arabs claim it's for them and their the oldest son, of course, was Ishmael, the, the father of the Arab nation. Um, but then you've got Isaac. He's the half-brother. And uh, that's Sarah. And really it's Abraham and Sarah, not the handmaiden. Uh, God said he'll make the Arabs a great nation and they'll be, he'll be a wild man. And I think that's gone and been handed down from father to son, hasn't it? Wild man, as far as the Arabs are concerned. Uh, but it was the Roman Catholic Church, according to the Spanish Jesuit, Alberto Rivera, and uh, he's a real person. Some people like to make out that he's invented. Uh, but my good friend, um, Derek Pierce, just before he, well, not just before he passed away, but he actually only passed away in the last three weeks. He's now with the Lord, taught me an awful lot. He actually was in California with Jack Chick, and uh, he was at Jack Chick's home, and uh, who should walk in but Alberto? And so he's met him and spoken to him, and he's a real person, and uh, my friend Derek, believe that um, after a, quite a good com long conversation with Alberto uh, this would have been in the 1980s that he was a, a wonderful man and um, very believable and uh, he felt that he walked away from that conversation and he would say that he was an honest an honest human being all right we're over at expose.news uh, sorry expose-news <laughs> it's always a tricky one it's the little minus sign exposenews.com and uh, they've got some new stories that have just come out. How harmful is my COVID-19 vaccine batch? Find out now. Uh, actually, is that the latest? Oh, I thought they had more uh, up-to-date ones than that. Now was... oh, here we go. Here we are. James Rickards. Uh, the next financial crisis hits the elites uh, are planning to freeze the financial system worldwide. 
story by Rhonda Wilson. Uh, During an interview in 2017, James Rickards revealed there is a network of 189 people who are positioned in the world's financial system that hold the fate of the global financial system. US, China, Israel and others are developing AI killer drones. Uh, This uh, poses significant risks. Pentagon recently developed an AI technology have uh, they've drawn concerns and criticisms as they approach the deployment of autonomous AI weapon systems capable of making lethal decisions independently, according to the New York Times. Also, another story by Rhonda Wilson over at the expose, expose-news.com. And Dr. Vernon, uh, Vernon Coleman gives his latest passing observations, including the new medical trend for long illnesses, another medical craze to come out of the COVID uh, multiple annual vaccines and all. Deadly secrets unvaccinated account for just 5% of COVID-19 deaths since the beginning of 2023, but three to four times vaccinated account for a shocking 95%. A report quietly published by the UK government confirms COVID-19 injections are far from effective because the unvaccinated population has accounted for just 5% of COVID-19 deaths in England since the beginning of their reporting. In Slovakia, they will not be entering into any international pandemic agreements with the World Health Organization, according to their Prime Minister. During an SMER party conference, Slovakian Prime Minister Roberto Fico, he declared that his government will not sign the World Health Organization's pandemic treaty and the SMER members of parliament will not ratify it. In Estonia, they're going down the same track. They notify the WHO that it rejects the pandemic treaty and amendments to the international health regulations. On the 22nd of November, 11 members of the Estonian parliament wrote a letter to the World Health Organization to reject the proposed international agreement on pandemic prevention preparedness and responses. Wikipedia co-founder Larry Sanger has started a new database of encyclopedias to challenge Wikipedia's dominance. Wikipedia has become the bastion of established propaganda that has no longer, or even pretends to be, rather, that no longer even pretends to be neutral on controversies uh, of the day. And uh, this is a very dangerous to society, explained Wikipedia co-founder. And that's why he's got started on it. And Dr. Jill Glaspool Malone, Glaspool Malone, how the COVID pandemic has advanced the United Nations aims of becoming a one world government. By global synchronising the public health responses across the United Nations, member states' new powers were granted to the United Nations. These universally apply regulations and multilateral agreements have been created. EU digital identity, the Eurocrats want to create a regime in which citizens are increasingly controlled by Brussels. The agreement between the European Parliament and the Council of European Union Uh, The EU digital identity wallet is open to abuse and gives Brussels the ability to deny people their rights. And hidden agenda behind the UK government's very real chemtrail operations. Chemtrails are now nothing new. We're just starting to notice them. That's the shock for us, a commercial airline pilot said during a recent interview. They've been doing it for years. Well, that was a bit different to the commercial airline pilot and aircraft engineer that we had here, Omo. He didn't seem to think it was real at all. I think he thought that um, the cloud seeding was, but not chemtrails. He said that they are uh, to do with the new engines. 
uh, he calls them, um, what does he call it? You know, um, con trails, condensation trails. That's what he says anyway. He says he's crawled all through aircraft and he's never seen anything like what people are saying. And beyond Orwell's 1984 5G and the launching of 6G, uh, take, it's easy to take down a society that is digital. Oh, yeah, I suppose it would be. Hell is empty and the devils are all here. Sha- William Shakespeare, The Tempest, 1623. But now it is. it uh, should be clear to all of us what is being gradually and in many ways imperceptibly... Oh, I have to click on that because I can't see the end of it. Imperceptibly what? Uh, 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 imperceptibly... Uh, prepared for us. We the people... Is pure evil, says geopolitical analyst, uh, analyst Peter Kol- Kolnig, it looks like, who argues that it is we who are the matrix, according to Kolnig. The elites that control the few switches to run the end game are outside the matrix. They will keep their supply lines open of everything, hoping to live in paradise, where we, the people, will own nothing and be happy. And there we are. So that is news brought to you by Expose News. And uh, yeah, some people will probably say, oh, that's all rubbish. Well, maybe it is, but still, exposenews.com, you can find it. It's got a little hyphen in between Expose and News. When I come back, we'll go to the Jerusalem Post and see what they've got uh, on the boil, see what they're cooking up for us. Here's Douglas Murray. I'll be back in a moment. The thing that stri- struck me, you know, Piers, about seeing the 7th of October footage was that... Um, even the Nazis were actually ashamed of what they did. You know, SS battalions who spent their days shooting Jews in the back of the head and pushing them into, tr- uh, into trenches had to get very, very drunk in the evening to uh, uh, forget what they had done. Uh, the Nazi high command famously had to sort of get around the problem of soldier morale because the soldiers knew this wasn't exactly what their lives were meant to look like either. I tell you one very big difference. If you look at the footage, the raw footage, and I really hope people don't on a wider scale have to view what I viewed the other day. Um, If they see it, they will see something that is at least as barbaric as what the Nazis did. But here's the difference. They did it with glee. They were deeply proud. Why is it that when uh, one of the victims of the music festival, uh, a poor young German Jewish girl, uh, who it seems was was raped and then uh, brutally uh, murdered and taken into the Gaza naked. Why was it that you can find, and anyone can find this online, uh, a crowd of ordinary Gazans, it wasn't a Hamas, it wasn't a Hamas rally, ordinary Gazans uh, uh, spitting on her body, uh, hitting her body, mutilating her body further as it went down the street. Does that strike you, Piers, as a uh, placid population of peacenik types who are just desperately waiting waiting for a two-state solution to be put back on the table for the millionth time in the last 70-something years. It doesn't seem like that to me. No, but there are over two million people in Gaza, and there weren't two million people in that video clip. There were a few hundred. So I, I don't like to make... Yeah, well, a few hundred at random. A few hundred at random. And did you see anyone in it saying, hey, guys, stop? Oh, no, we didn't. There we are. That was... Um... Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray there. Seven minutes to eight. TNT Radio News coming up at eight. We're over at Jerusalem Post now. And Hamas calls to extend the ceasefire with Israel. 
14 Israeli hostages, three Thai nationals, returned to Gaza on Sunday. 40 Israeli women and children reunited with their families. And more breaking news that's just come through. Hamas formally requests Gaza ceasefire extension from Israel. Also, a Turkish-Iranian leader affirms mutual stance against, against Israel. And the Palestinian Authority says three Palestinian students injured in Vermont shooting. Uh, is that Palestinian Authority? Yes, or is it Pennsylvania? No, I'm sure it is. I'd better click on it. Better click on it. Breaking news. The um, three Palestinian students injured in Vermont shooting. Palestinian Foreign Ministry on Sunday condemned the shooting in the U.S. state of Vermont in which it said three Palestinian students have been injured. They're really just Arabs, aren't they? They're not Palestinian. No such thing as a Palestinian. And the word Palestine was invented by Hadrian to rid the name of Israel. I mean, just read your Bible, folks. Remember the Bible story? Didn't mum and dad send you to Sunday school? It's all in there. Gosh, I mean, I don't know how you could be confused by all this nonsense. The ministry said in a statement that Hashem Atwatani and Shasim Ahmed and Kin Abu... Something like that, uh, who were speaking Arabic and wearing a traditional Pakistan kefir. They had sustained severe and moderate injuries during the shooting. That's just crazy. That's just nuts. You know, I just, it's just not how we roll, you know. It's not how we roll. There's something weird going on with us. I mean, usually it's always the other way around, isn't it? It's always the, the, the Muslims that are doing all the shooting and killing not people on the other side. So it's very strange. I wonder. Sometimes I wonder whether these people are controlled. People like Brendan, Brenton Tarrant here in New Zealand, who is all kept hush-hush. And do you know what came out in the news uh, last week, the beginning of last week, or it might have been the end of the week before, and it was in the inquest into the mosque shooting in 2019. And one of the police officers in his statement, his sworn statement, and this is in the transcript, said that when they arrested Brenton Tarrant, he said nine other shooters I'm one of nine nine others. I know he said no, he's one of ten. So there were nine others in Canterbury. That was what the that what they said. And the media is silent on it. Not a word is said. That and also Richard Prebbles wanting to. Uh, Richard Prebbles said there needs to be an inquiry. There needs to be a high court action taken. Uh, just take one of the electorates where it's close, and do a count of those ballots. Not just a count, but actually to verify the ballots. Uh, the ballots are they legal? Because you have to be a New Zealand citizen or have residency here before you can vote. And we've got to bring back, we've got to get rid of what Jacinda Ardern got rid of in 2020. We need to bring back, I should say, bring back that you, the mandatory, you, it must be mandated, must be in our law, that to, in order to vote you have to be on the roll. And that means that only New Zealand citizens can qualify for that. New Zealand citizens or people that have residency here in New Zealand. Okay, so we're back with uh, we're back with the Jerusalem Post, and uh, Israel kills senior Hamas commanders in an underground targeting. Netanyahu visits Gaza for the first time. Israeli Prime Minister is to do so. And that's the first time he's done it in two decades. So he's actually over there. So obviously, they've got a good hold of the area. They're well organised. Four IDF uh, Oketz dogs fall in battle, so they've been killed by. Uh, Hamas terrorists in Gaza for dogs oh that's a shame poor doggies and uh, Israel-Hamas war what happened on the 47th day uh, if you go over to the jpost.com you can read live updates about what's going on in Israel and it's good good to go over there and see what's happening see what the other side is see what um, our newspapers are, are not reporting uh, now now 
And did we, now we talked about what happened on this day, didn't we? I'll just give it for those that have come in late. Uh, we'll just go back to um, what happened on this day. This is brought to you by NewZealandHistory.gov.nz. And on this day, November 27th. In 1849, the death of Tarapraha, the formidable Ngāti Toa leader, and he was uh, he, he controlled the region in the Cook Strait. I think he clicked tariff. <laughs> Anyone passing through was he was um, clicking the ticket. He was based in Kapiti, and he'd been there for nearly 20 years. He died on this day in 1849. On this day in 1935, Labour wins to power. The general election has long been seen as the identifying or, yeah, uh, defining, I should say, the defining moment in New Zealand history. Undermined its uh, failure to cope with the distress of the Depression, the Coalition National Government was routed by the Labour Party, led by Michael Joseph Savage. Also on this day, a liner was struck off the East Cape in 1940. 16,712-tonne New Zealand shipping company liner Rangitane it was intercepted and sunk 550 kilometres off the coast with a loss of 15 lives. Wow, there was two, um, what do they call them? They're sort of, they're not um, armed. There was, oh, I, better, I better go and read it for you. It's quite, quite interesting that. I had no idea that the, uh, the Germans were sort of operating in around our waters. And so it was a German auxiliary cruiser. There was two of them actually. Uh, the um, they were what they call merchant raiders, Orion and Comet, uh, 550 kilometres off East Cape. The British-owned vessel was the largest Allied merchant ship to be sunk by a German surface v- vessel during the Second World War. German submarines and aircraft sank many larger ships. On the 25th of November, Orion and Comet cruising with an unarmed supply ship, the Colmerland. They had sunk a little steamer, Holmwood, off the Chatham Islands, taking its 17 crew and 12 passengers prisoner. And at 20 to 4 in the morning on this day, 1940, did we say it was? 1940. Uh, the German flotilla intercepted a larger prize, the, uh, the, uh, the Rangitani, which was three days out of Auckland, bound for the United Kingdom via Panama. The liner had a crew of 201 and was carrying 111 passengers, including uh, air fleet arm recruits and radar specialists on their way to Britain and a group of British women who had escorted 477 children evacuees to New Zealand on board the sailing ship, I guess it is, Batori. Uh, a trainee airman named Alan Jones, he recalled the attack. He said it was half past three in the morning and clanging sirens was going and there was a big crash, well lots of crashes he said, and then he went up on deck and there was one of the raiders on either side of us and a supply ship in front. You could see from the shelling, the shells were ricocheting off to hell with that he said, and they went back down below again. It was a bit scary, he said I was scared and I was bewildered and there were two other salvos and one of the saloons was on fire there was the smell of cordite in the air and the ship would shudder every so often when it was hit. Seven passengers were killed or mortally wounded, including four of the female child escorts. Eight crew members lost their lives, including two stewardesses and two brothers who were both engine room hands. Many sources erroneously claim there were only 11 deaths. The other 297 passengers and crew were taken aboard the German ships before the Rangitane was sunk. And most of the captives were later landed in Imaruao Island in the Bismarck Archipelago of Archipelago, I think that's how you say, of New um, Archipelago, <laughs> no, of uh, New Guinea. 
and so they were then repatriated to Australia in January 1941. A number of merchant seamen and servicemen, including Alan Jones, were taken to Germany and they were interned over there. Uh, so I'm going to come back in just a moment. Oh, we've got news. we better go to news right now. Here's the news. Recapping some of the news that shaped the past week, I'm Matt Boyland. Despite fierce backlash, the Australian government defended its decision to grant visas to more than 800 Palestinians fleeing the war in Gaza. Canberra revealing this week it had granted 860 temporary visas to Palestinians, as well as another 1,800 to Israelis. But the government's dismissed concerns some of those coming from Gaza could be sympathetic or linked to Hamas. Foreign Minister Penny Wong stressing that all of the usual security checks had been completed before the visas were issued. The usual uh, security checks, the usual identity checks, the usual character checks were undertaken on this cohort as they are in relation to all cohorts. Uh, and, uh, you know, of our first priority is to make sure uh, we uh, manage, uh, we, we keep Australians safe, and that includes mm. managing uh, visa arrangements appropriately. But former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott has joined the growing chorus of concern, warning the country could be importing trouble. Look, I saw uh, the Foreign Minister assuring people uh, just a few moments ago that all the security checks had been done. But as far as I'm aware, there are no Australian officials whatsoever in Gaza. None. Um, so I just wonder how this could possibly be correct. Um, who did these security checks? Um, how extensive and how thorough were they, particularly given the polling that we've seen, suggesting that something like 70% of the population of Gaza believed that the October 7 atrocities were entirely justified? Well, we don't want to be importing trouble into our country and I just hope that the government has been a lot clearer and a lot more thorough about this than it has been on quite a few other things just in the last few weeks. Also making news just days after announcing her state was collecting data from surveillance efforts on social media, New York's governor is now splashing millions of dollars on teaching children how to spot conspiracy theories online. Today I'm directing the Director of Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services to develop media literacy tools for K through 12 in our public schools. This will teach students and even teachers to help understand how to spot conspiracy theories and misinformation, disinformation and online hate. Start talking about what we're seeing out there. And the Washington Post published an op-ed this week, supposedly written by President Joe Biden, explaining why America must continue to support Ukraine and Israel. But TNT's Patrick Henningsen questions who really penned the piece. Now, this is a very strange op-ed in the Washington Post by Joe Biden, supposedly penned by Joe Biden. But did Biden really write this op-ed? Can Joe Biden put together a 2,000-word op-ed? Could he actually write something like this? No, not really. This was written by his staff or his handlers or his chief of staff. So what is it saying? What's the messaging for? What are they signaling? What they're saying here is basically what George W. Bush said when the Iraq war began to be unpopular 
popular in the United States. The messaging from Washington was stay the course. We need to stay the course and defeat Al-Qaeda. First it was to find Saddam, and then when they found Saddam, it was to defeat Al-Qaeda. When they finally supposedly defeated Al-Qaeda, it was then stretched on to defeat ISIS and so forth. So you get the forever war. That's what Joe Biden's doing here. He's become a neocon, or at least his administration is. And it's a dead end. They want to fight a three-front war. How insane is this? And they want to escalate against Iran on behalf of Israel. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. All right, we're over at Weather Watch, and uh, you can find that at weatherwatch.co.nz, and I think it's uh, Philip Duncan. Uh, I hope I got the name right. I better check that. Gosh, I'm naughty. Okay, um, what are we doing? And we've got also Dennis Hall coming up after the weather. Dennis Hall will be here for a half an hour. Uh, we've got a very weak ridge of high pressure. It lies over the country today. Meanwhile, a low sits out way out in the eastern uh, east of the Pacific. Uh, in the Pacific, I should say. And then there's another low in the Tasman. And uh, so that is dropping to the southeast overnight. For the North Island, you can expect partly cloudy skies in the west, uh, with southwesterly winds tending westerly this afternoon, mostly sunny for the Bay of Plenty and eastern regions, with high cloud this evening. Light winds tend onshore this afternoon. However, winds uh, remain from the west southwest all day for the Bay of Plenty. A light shower or two may arrive in the west... Uh, this evening, and in the South Island and its islands, partly cloudy skies in the west and south, sun and developing high cloud in the east. A few isolated showers developing this afternoon for central Otago through to inland South Canterbury, easing this evening. Rain moves onto Fiordland and then eventually Southland during the course of the afternoon. Coastal Otago this evening. For the evening, uh, this evening, a few light showers spread north along the west coast. Westerly quarter winds in the west, uh, to that's the east to northeasterly winds. They freshen up in the east this afternoon, east and west, and I don't know, your guess is as good as mine. Let's go across to uh, the uh, Met Service and just see what we've got there as far as uh, extremes go. I think it's warmed up. What have we got? We've got the highest temperatures recorded in Manukau and Auckland, 16.4 degrees. Waiuru is quite cold, but not that cold. Waiuru is the lowest, 6.8 degrees. The windiest place is not very windy at all. And the Port Hills, are fo- yes, the Port Hills of Christchurch, 22 kilometres per hour. And there's no uh, precis- precis- precipitation anywhere that I can see as far as I can see. Uh, Looking at the long-range forecast for Tuesday for the North Island, isolated showers in the west turning to rain later, mainly dry and with the high cloud elsewhere. In the South Island, you can expect rain tomorrow in the south and west, heavier times, and then easing to showers later, scattered showers elsewhere turning to rain in Canterbury. For Wednesday in the North Island, rain in the north and west, with scattered fall spreading east. Easing to showers later, and then clearing in the south. For the South Island Wednesday, rain in the north, easing to isolated showers, scattered showers elsewhere, clearing uh, mostly later. And for Thursday, mostly fine, but isolated showers mainly during the afternoon and evening. Well, that's my lot. Thank you very much. It's eight minutes past eight. We've got Dennis Hall. He'll be in next. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Town Talk. Our guest is Linda Lazuli, the Quad City's newest celebrity. Hi. Hi. Linda, tell the audience your story. Well, actually, I fell off a cruise ship. Oh, my. And I survived for three weeks by turning my evening gown into a flotation device. Oh, three weeks before you were rescued? Yeah, fortunately, a search plane caught the reflection from my earrings. and then your I was, earrings? Uh, yeah, the, the ones I'm wearing right now. So, anyway, These I was, earrings right here? Yeah. These are really gorgeous earrings. Well, thanks. So, sharks were starting to circle. and then Where'd they, they come from? Well, I assume from wherever sharks live. No, I mean the earrings. What? Oh, from Diamonds on the Avenue. Uh-huh. So there I was, surrounded by sharks. When They're suddenly... nice, aren't they? Sharks? No, Diamonds on the Avenue. Uh, okay, listen, do you want to hear about my rescue at sea or Diamonds on the Avenue? Well, why don't we let our audience decide? Sharks? Diamonds on the Avenue? There's something irresistible about fine jewelry from Diamonds on the Avenue. On 29th Street at 23rd Avenue in Moline. Diamonds on the Avenue. Home of the wow factor. Don't say things you don't mean and don't go along with things you don't agree with. I told my kids when they went to school, look, kids, follow the rules. But don't follow stupid rules.